messages this month on prayer, the power of prayer, and today's message is you get what you expect. I had the last early week, I came to the church in the morning and I looked up at the sign and it said, you get what you expect with Pastor Cole. <laughs> I came into my office and said to my secretary, would you tell somebody to go out there and take that word with off the sign. I get blamed for enough. <laughs> but we can say you get what you expect with God. And the key verse in Psalm 62 is the fifth verse where the psalmist said, My soul waits silently for God alone, for my expectation is from Him. Now, I looked this up in several translations, and it either had the word expectation or the word salvation. Either my salvation is from him or my expectation is from him. And I like that. We get what we expect. Do you realize that prayer is absolutely useless and of no effect if we don't expect an answer? Why pray if you don't expect something? I believe God wants us to expect something. He's God, and he can do anything if it's in his will. So I want us to stop wasting time by just going through recitations of prayer, and I would like us to begin focusing on the power of prayer, coming, actually believing that what we ask in the will of God is going to be done because it's God's heart to do it and it's in his power to do it. Back in the first book of Samuel, there is a story that I want to refer to that probably will come up several times during the message this morning. So why don't you open your Bible and look at the first chapter of 1 Samuel while I just sort of recite this incident for you. If you have been in Sunday school very long, you'll remember the story. It is the account of the yearly trip of Elkanah and his wife Hannah to Shiloh to worship and sacrifice unto the Lord. Elkanah and Hannah. Now Hannah was very distressed as you will see by reading the first chapter of that first book, because she was not able to bear a son for her husband, whom she loved very dearly. And the Bible indicates that she was so distressed that she wept, and she wept, and she wept, until the Bible indicates she was actually sore. She was afflicted physically by her weeping. Have you ever wept so much that you felt it physically, that you hurt? Well, that was the amount of distress this lady felt because of her barrenness. And it says that the Lord had made her barren. So she came to Shiloh for this annual visit. And the Bible says she fasted and she prayed. Eli, the priest, was observing the prayers, and he noticed Hannah. Her lips were moving, but he could not 
understand what she was saying. It's much like Romans chapter 8, where it says, when we do not know how to pray as we ought, the Spirit himself prays through us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Hannah was so distressed and overtaken by her burden that she could only groan and in anguish before God let her spirit express to him what was going on. After some time, and we know not how long, she felt release. And she rose from the place of prayer and went away and ate. She broke her fast. And then it says she washed her face. Just as Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, when you fast, don't appear as one fasting. Wash your face and then appear to the public. And Hannah knew that that was the thing to do and washed her face after she ate. And then the next morning, after a night of rest, she went to worship with her husband. And in worship and in praise to God, there came a sense of his presence and of his fatherhood to her life. And the Bible says she returned home to conceive and bear a son. And verse 20 in 1 Samuel 1 gives us the great secret of all prayer when the Bible says because I have asked for him from the Lord I have asked for him from the Lord her burden was lifted she went home and in time as you know Samuel was born I read an interesting story of Fritz Kreisler recently, the great violinist, some felt the greatest violinist that ever lived. One big problem permeated Fritz Kreisler's life. He hated to practice. He had a wife. She was a good woman. She said to him, Fritz, have you practiced today? She said to him, how much have you practiced? She said over and over, Fritz, be sure to practice. Now you can imagine saying that to a son, but this is her husband and a genius with a violin. Be sure to practice. Fritz, have you practiced today? He was constantly coming up with all sorts of excuses and rationalizations not to practice. Toward the end of his life, a great banquet was held in Chrysler's honor. One speaker after another stood. Great musicians, conductors, and musicians rose to speak of him in glowing terms. One even said, he is the world's greatest living musician. At that, Fritz Chrysler turned to his wife and said, did you ever hear such praise? And without cracking a smile, she said, yes, but think what they could have said if you had practiced.
That's terrific. I read that and I thought, that is an exact message about prayer. Think what you could testify to if you had only prayed. If we were to list problems in the church today at the very top of the list would have to be the problem of prayerlessness. Number one, my observation, the problem of prayerlessness. Let me tell you why. It was not always this way. I remember testimony meeting after testimony meeting where someone would say, my cupboards were empty. We had nothing left. We got on our knees and we prayed that God would provide. And in a matter of minutes, there was a knock at the door. Somebody with a load of groceries came and blessed us with that provision. I can remember people praying, I was out of gasoline. I had no way to get to work. When God miraculously provided for gasoline for our automobile, I have heard people testify in the past how their college students' bill could not be met, but they prayed and God miraculously met the need. I have heard over and over again in days past of people who woke up in the middle of, of the night in a fit of fever, desperate, and they prayed and God instantaneously met that need. What is the problem, therefore, today? We have Medicare. We have hospitalization. We have the social services. We have welfare. We turn to all of the agencies before we ever think of God, and it is to our absolute detriment our benevolent program here at the church is in almost a chaotic condition right now because every week people are coming saying, would you pay my rent? Would you pay my phone bill? Would you pay the PG&E? Can you help me? My car is in need of repair. And they have not prayed most of the time. You see, we are tutored now to go get help somewhere. It's available. Friends, we have lost the miraculous in our Christianity. We have lost the opportunity to stand in the congregation and say, I didn't let anybody know about it, but God and God was enough for me. I didn't go to the county office. I didn't go to the government. I didn't go to anybody but God, and God met my need. That, I believe, is the greatest need in our church today, that we begin to see God as our provider once again. In this passage of Scripture, verse 11, we didn't read it, but notice the line, power belongs to God. 
power belongs to God. Think of what we could testify to if we would only pray. We have couples coming distraught, going to separate. They've done everything but pray. Everything. They've taken tests. They have had counseling, but they haven't prayed. I say sometimes, have you gotten on your knees together before God and asked God to help you in your differences, to resolve your problem? You've got children. You have these lives entrusted to your care. Have you prayed? And it's like, well, who would have ever thought of that? Power belongs to God. You get what you expect. Now, there are two points to my message today. One, expect a miracle. Two, expect opposition. Number one, expect a miracle. Verse 8 says, trust in him at all times. There is a verse in Daniel 11, it's the 32nd verse, that says, the people that do know their God shall be strong and do exploits. I like that verse. To me, it's the picture of Christianity. The people that know their God shall be strong and do exploits, living on the cutting edge, if you will, expecting miracles every day. Let me give you some examples from the Scripture. First, Daniel himself, who gave us that promise from God. In chapter 6 of Daniel, he was taken out of the den of lions with no manner of hurt, Miracle, and in the 23rd verse of that sixth chapter, it says no injury was found on him, but don't put a period there. There's a comma. No injury, whatever, was found on him because he believed in his God. doesn't say because he believed in Darius, the king. It says there was no injury upon him because he believed in his God. That is the order of Scripture. The Bible is filled with becauses because they trusted in the Lord or they believed in God. Are there any becauses in your life? in your family? Let me ask you, have you any miracles to talk about today? Miracles in your children's lives. Miracles in your business. Miracles in your relationships. Any miracles to talk about because of believing in God? Open to Hebrews 11 and notice the great chapter of faith and how Verse after verse unfolds with, these term, with this term, by faith. By faith, Enoch was translated. By faith, Abraham offered up Isaac. By faith, Moses was hidden three months. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down. Verse 30. And then, by faith, the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe when she had received the spies with peace. And what more shall I say? 
For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, also of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. Verse after verse, miracles because they believed in their God. Now, what are keys to miraculous answers? There are six that I like to use in my life. Let me give them to you very quickly. I won't have time to develop any of them very much, but I think in many ways they're self-explanatory. Ways to miraculous answers. Number one, repent of any known sin. If you regard iniquity in your heart, the Lord will not hear you. Matthew 6, 5, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, and when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites. Now, what were the hypocrites? They were the ones who came into church looking like a saint on the outside, but on the inside, they were ravenous with sin, not wanting anybody to know what they were really like. Now, the church has these creatures today. They're going around sinning, committing adultery, committing fornication, living like the animal kingdom. And they come in very piously and sing, all that thrills my soul is Jesus. He is all in all to me. And it's a farce. And that's got to be rooted out. Our prayers won't get beyond this ceiling if we come here with unconfessed sin in our life. God is sick and tired of our hypocrisy, and he won't put up with it. He will judge it, and he will judge it harshly. My admonition to you today is get on your face before God and let it out. Stop living this miserable way and be honest with God and live a life of faith. When you will, miracles will accompany your walk. He will not put up with your sin. Secondly, have faith. Hebrews 11.6 says, without faith it is impossible to please God. Believe that he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. When you come to him, believe. Have faith in God. It's that simple. Hebrews 11, again, highlights all of that for us. Thirdly, be fervent in your prayers. James 5.16 has a key. James speaks of the fervent prayer of a righteous man. You see, our problem today is we want to run into God's presence and run right back out. We come with our little, now I lay me down to sleep prayers and our little blessings over the food. 
and we call that prayer. God does not take kindly our lack of attention to the diligence of prayer. The fervent prayer. What is a fervent prayer? It's when you get beyond the little ditties that you've been used to, the repetitions of prayer. And you pound the floor, if you will, or you head out to the hills for a day with God and you shout your prayers to God until, like Hannah, you can go home knowing you have gotten through to God. Pray through is an old phrase we used to use. Fervent prayer. Fourthly, Matthew 6.10 has the Lord's Prayer in it. And it says, pray this way, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Pray in God's will. It's not God's will for you to marry somebody else's partner. You say, that's far out. Not anymore. We've got people praying that way. I mean, it's absolutely ridiculous. Pray in God's will if you want God's miracles. Pick up the book and say, what is the will of God? Show me your will, Lord. His word is his will. He will not contradict what he wrote. Pray in God's will. Praise Jesus prayed in Gethsemane. Not my will, but thy will be done, Lord. Get rid of yourself and let God fill you with himself. Five, be persistent, Luke eleven eight. I say to you, though he will not rise and give to him because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. And the picture of that is a man sleeping by the wall because that's the way they sleep in the Middle East with his family lined up from his wife, the oldest child down to the youngest and if he was to get up at midnight, it meant climbing over every member of his family to go and help his friend with bread at midnight. But because of his persistence, he got up and walked over his family and gave his friend what he needed. And then right after verse 8, Jesus said, So ask, and you will receive. Seek, you will find. Knock. And the translations are, keep on asking and keep on knocking and Keep on seeking. I suppose it's the question asked me most often, how many times should I ask God to answer my prayer until it's answered? You're not going to bother God with your persistency. Jesus said, because of his persistence, he will rise. He's giving us a little indication here into the heart of God. He wants to make sure you're ready to have his way and his provision instead of being able to say, look what I have done. Look what my hands have done. Then God will come to your aid when he knows you're trusting in him. Be persistent. Finally, agree with someone else. Matthew 18, 19, and 20. 
If two of you shall agree as touching anything they ask, it will be done for them of my Father, which is in heaven. What power there is in covenant prayer. We practice that here at Capital Christian Center constantly. Let's agree together in prayer. Would you agree with me in prayer? Would you take my son upon your heart with me in prayer? My brother, my sister, my family need, my job. Will you pray with me? That's what we do during the offering. When people raise their hand, we reach out and touch. What are we doing? We're agreeing with them for a job, for the provision of their life. Jesus said to do it. Now, if you didn't get those six things down, tapes will be available on the table right after church. You pick one up and listen to it again and again and again. We're talking about keys to miraculous answers. Repent of your sin. Have faith. Be fervent. Pray in God's will. Be persistent and agree with someone else. And I'll guarantee you there will be testimonies daily from this congregation of God's miraculous. We won't get up and say government provided, somebody else provided. We will be able to say, my God has supplied all of my need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. My God hath done it, and the glory will go to God. Expect a miracle. I watched with interest Dr. Robert Schuller's 1,000th broadcast of the Hour of Power. I remember when it started. I remember how they needed a $10,000 investment in electrical transformers to start the Hour of Power. They had set a Sunday in February to begin. The deadline was nearing. The administrator came to Dr. Schuler and said, we need $10,000 or we can't start and we need it tomorrow. It's the deadline or we will not have those transformers in place. He prayed. The next day at 11 a.m., he had an appointment with a couple he thought was coming for marriage counseling. When they walked in, they explained to him that at the beginning of the year before, they had made a covenant with God that they would tithe on their corporate profits for the year. Whatever the profits were, they would give the tithe of that profit to the Lord. Good idea in any business. The year had passed. It was now almost February. And they said, Pastor Schuler, our accountant just came to tell us that we had a $100,000 profit last year in our business, and we want to present to you personally this check for $10,000, the tithe from our first year of agreement with God. Tears came down Dr. Schuler's cheeks as he was able to take that check to the treasurer and say, deposit it and get those transformers. God has answered our prayer. That's what happens when you expect God to work. 1,000 broadcasts later, those transformers are still sending out the message. Expect a miracle.
Now, secondly, and you might not like this one as much, but it's got to be thrown in here, expect opposition. In case you didn't read it, notice the psalmist's plea, how long will you attack a man? You shall be slain, all of you, like a leaning wall and a tottering fence. They only consult to cast him down from his high position. They delight in lies. They bless with their mouth, but they curse inwardly. Oh, we have the tendency to say, David, he was special. He was anointed king of Israel. He was God's pet. Never had any problem. Ho, ho, ho. I mean, he had a life filled with opposition and difficulty, but what did he come up with? God is a refuge. He's the rock of my strength. Trust in him at all times. Power belongs to God. Do you know opposition is good for you? You remember Job? You ought to go back and read Job again. He had comforters. <laughs> Sometimes we say, you sound like one of Job's comforters. Curse God and die. Job, you must have sin in your life. Just die. Get away from us. Always people like that around. The Revised Standard Version of Psalm 62.3 says, How long will you set upon a man to shatter him? And the Living Bible is very living. It says simply, They pick on me. I like that. Some of you are like that right now. You feel picked on. How long will your life be shattered? Expect opposition. But who are you looking to? What are you trusting in? Do you have the upward look or the downward look? We are more than conquerors, Paul said, through him who loved us. Caleb and Joshua were two of the 12 spies that went out to look at Canaan, and they came back and said, we are well able to go up and take the country. Ten said, they're grasshoppers in number. They'll stomp us to death. But two came back and said, we are well able. And the percentages haven't changed a whole lot through the centuries. True Christians see the unseeable, believe the unbelievable, and attempt the impossible. I wish I had time today to develop the thought, but just notice with me, Nicodemus asked in John 3, how can a man be born when he is old? Almost with disdain, he said, can he enter the second time into his mother's womb? He didn't realize he was talking to one who knew how to give second birth. In prayer, we so often forget we're talking to somebody who knows how to do anything. The humanists have affected us. Atheists have affected us. Agnostics have affected us. People with no faith have said it can't be done. Jesus said, Nicodemus, you must be born again. And furthermore, it's like the wind. You don't see it, but you see the results of it. Such is my salvation. Those who are born of the Spirit, you will see the results of it in peace and joy and long-suffering and blessedness. But I can't explain it to you. It just happens. You're born again. You've got to start thinking that way. In Mark 5, 3, there was a wild man. No man could bind him. No, not with chains. The world's outlook was hopeless. 
put him out in the country, tie him up with chains. But Jesus came by and set him free. Just like that. John 6, 9, there is a lad here with five barley loaves and two small fishes, but what are they among so many? That was the world's view. 5,000 men plus women and children, five loaves, two fishes. What are they among so many? <laughs> See, some of you here today couldn't put the Lord's tithe in today because you had less income than you have outgo. And your attitude is, until my income exceeds my outgo, I can never give to God, and you will never give to God because it'll stay that way until you die. You've got to trust the miracle worker and obey him. You see, he took five loaves and two fish, and he began to break it after he blessed it, and 5,000 men ate, and all their wives ate, and all their children ate, probably 20,000 people plus ate. And after the crowd was gone, the disciples gathered up the leftovers, and each of them had a basket full of fish and bread to carry home, 12 baskets full left over. You see, you've got to look at it through God's eyes, expect a miracle. You'll have opposition. The figures won't add up. They never taught me in school that 90% was greater than 100%, but God taught me that. He taught me that graphically. Glenn Cole, 90% with me will always go farther than 100% with you. And I said, bargain, God, I take it. And it works. Paul spoke in 2 Corinthians 12.10 of taking pleasure in infirmities. How did he know? Acts 16 says, At midnight Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises to God. And what did the Lord do? He shook those doors open, gave them a convert, started a church in Philippi, set them free, because God can do what man cannot do. If you have infirmities... Start looking to the miracle worker to use them for his glory instead of complaining about them. You may not have much of this world's goods, but Romans 8, 17 says, We are heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. Christ makes we beggars as rich as a king. And how we need to remember that. In John 9, 1, Jesus saw a man which was born blind. The Jews wondered who had sinned, the man or his parents. Jesus said neither, but that the works of God should be manifest in him. He saw it totally different than they did. Mary and Martha were overcome with grief because Lazarus had been dead four days when Jesus finally arrived in Bethany. And they were weeping and saying, Lord, why didn't you come? He said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me shall never die. Take off the grave clothes. You see, the God that we serve has faced opposition from the beginning of time, and he knows how to handle every bit of it. No problem. You get what you expect. And I'm wondering what you're expecting. Now, as I wrap this up, we have a choice today to trust in ourselves or to trust in God. It's that simple. The humanists say, you will never have a greater God than yourself. Oh, man, what a bummer. <laughs> the 
You have a choice to trust in yourself or to trust in God this morning. We have a hymn in our book, number 401, which says, Out of my bondage, sorrow, and night, Jesus, I come. Jesus, I come. Into thy freedom, gladness, and light, Jesus, I come to thee. Out of my sickness, into thy health. Out of my need and into thy wealth. Out of my sin and into thyself, Jesus, I come to thee. The second verse goes, Out of my shameful failure and loss, into the glorious gain of thy cross. Out of earth's sorrows, into thy balm. Out of distress to jubilant psalm, Jesus, I come to thee. Why not? To whom else can we go? Prayer opens the door to all of his resources, to his miracles, even in spite of the opposition. Prayer says power belongs to God. Prayer brings the impossible into existence. Prayer says God can do anything. Capture it today by the help of the Holy Spirit. Down south, a black man attending a church went to his pastor to see if he could become a member of that prominent church. The pastor, knowing the deacon board would not look kindly on his request because he was black and it was in the south, suggested kindly he go home and earnestly pray about it for two weeks, then come back and tell him what the Lord revealed. He thought that would take him off his hands. John was his name. John went away, and two weeks later, he came back with this message. Pastor, God told me that he has been trying to get in here for the past 15 years. <laughs> and he hasn't succeeded. So I had better give up trying where God himself cannot find entrance. Oh, God, let it not happen here. Let us not trust in the works of our hands, in the arm of flesh. Oh, that God would keep his spirit burning in this place. Oh, that God would set us on fire so that we would see couples on their knees solving their problems. We would see businessmen on their faces before God saying, use my business to touch the world with the gospel. Help me to invest so wisely that I can help Pastor Cole and the board and the assemblies of God and the kingdom of God touch this world. Oh, God, put your miracles into my life. Oh, God, touch us so that that Saturday night prayer meeting has to be moved into the sanctuary because we know God answers prayer and the world needs the prayers of God's people. It's easier today to get people to go out and march and wave banners than it is to get them to pray. And God is saying to this pastor, before we do anything else, we must pray. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and against spiritual wickedness in high places. And we dare not do anything 
until we have gotten on our faces before God and prayed. We dare not do anything until we have done that. Then we will do something because it will be right and it will be guided by God. You get what you expect. Would you pray now with me? And please, nobody leaving until we have concluded. Jesus, if we've ever preached a message that bears importance, this is that message. This is the hour for us to get honest, sincere, before God. Oh, Father, forgive us for our carelessness, our rushing in and our rushing out. Even now, people are so anxious to get going, they cannot concentrate on what they've heard today. And, oh, God, I pray you'll bring concentration. People have their schedule so full that they can't give an hour in the prayer room. They can't come early for prayer. They, they're running. God, we don't condemn today, but we want to be faithful to your Holy Spirit and say we've got a problem. You want us to get before you in sincerity and in truth. We've got massive problems. Father, slitting the throats of the daughters insanity. In England, we have people tromping one another, 94 killed at a soccer game. And it won't be long until it happens in our country because it's insane. Our absorption with sports and pleasure. God, we have massacres occurring right across our border. Insanity. Demonic. And we wonder why we have not taken time to pray. Forgive us, but not only forgive us, put a thrust in us that will cause us to trust you and believe in you first. Get the direction first and then move secondly to that which we ought to do. We ask this in Christ's name. Stand with me, please, reverently. Pastor Paul begins to lead us. I want to ask those of you who need Jesus to come forward and kneel at this altar. Some of you need to take point one seriously. I need to repent of my sin. I need to lay it before God in honesty. Some of you are going through problems and you've consulted with others, but you really haven't brought the thing solely to God. Come. Let the